Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. On this episode of Big Boys Don't Cry, we discuss the film It Follows. You don't have to have seen the film to enjoy the podcast, but if you do proceed without having seen the film, just be aware that the plot of the film will be spoiled for you. Enjoy. Hello, hello. Good evening. How are you? Not too bad, not too bad. It's only um, two days since we last recorded, so not much has changed, really. I still have a cold. In fact, I took today off work as a sick day, which I have, oh not, I have not done in some time. And that's not because I'm one of those people who believes you should never take a sick day. If if you're sick, take the sick day, man. That's, that's what it's for. That's what it's there for. I've just been lucky to have been in good health the last year or two. But nope, still got the cold, so... Had to take a day to try and kick it, you know. You gotta, you gotta rest. You gotta rest up, as they say. So I spent most of the day under the duvet. I finished off watching this week's film, and I played a lot of Super Nintendo, which is cool. Very good. What did you play on the Super Nintendo? I played Castlevania, which was very good. It surprisingly holds up surprisingly well. Um, although eventually it got to a point where I did get frustrated with having to do a level again after I died um, against the boss, so I, uh, so I stopped. Um, is that Super Castlevania, Castlevania 4? Castlevania 4, yeah. Yeah. It's very good. That, There's a lot that of, um, it's all probably whip, whipping the action. best of the Castlevania games. Yeah, although the the one, um, when they launched the Game Boy Advance, they there was a, a Castlevania game that came with that at the time, the launch, and I remember, I think that was the first game I had on the Game Boy Advance. I remember being really blown away by that at the time. But maybe oh, I was just good. young and impressionable. And, um, it's got Star Fox 2. Yes, it does, doesn't it? It's the only thing that you can play Star Fox 2 on. Yeah. But I um I had never tried to play it, so I tried to play it and then it said to in order to unlock this, you have to beat the first level of Star Fox 1. That's just, oh fucking hell. So, I did it. <laughs> I managed to I thought this is a very very difficult challenge. Um but I did it. I managed to sit with the first level of Star Fox 1 and do it. Star Fox 2 is actually not bad. It's uh, it's much more enjoyable than Star Fox One. The gameplay is much improved, and it's got this interesting sort of map dynamic. So you're on the the map, and like they're fire constantly firing missiles at the home planet. So you have to go and get them and like choose where you want to go, rather than it being more of a linear story. And that kind of works. But inside the gameplay, it was just very very samey. And you, the look was only from the cockpit of the spaceship, not from behind the spaceship. I like to see the whole spaceship. You know, I like to see what I'm doing. It being in the cockpit made it a bit too, bit too first-person shooter Call of Duty for me, so I didn't like it. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, but overall, I, it's yeah, it's the first time I've been able to have a go through some of the um, Super Nintendo games I'd never experienced before, and that was quite fun, even though I'm still sniffing. So apologies oh, for that. Well, that is quite all right. How about you? Yeah, so I've been ill, but um, I have been working from home. Uh, today I went into the office because there was stuff I could only access in office and sort out when I was in there. Um, but Like um, general, chat about Poldark. Exactly, yeah. 100% Poldark chat. Um, and talk about the Great British Bake Off as well. Have you been yep. watching Bake Off this year? 
I've seen bits and pieces of it, not every episode, but I think I, I've seen enough to know who the, the main people are and know that Paul Hollywood is still the mecha guy Fieri. <laughs> that is true. He's been dishing out handshakes a bit too much for people's liking, though. Oh, really? Um, is he being be seen very... as, as a handman? A handyman? Yeah, it, it, it used to be very, very difficult to get a handshake from old Paul. Um, but this time round, he's been dishing them out sometimes multiple times per episode. The, wow. the value of the Paul Hollywood handshake is dropping as badly as the pound. Um, <laughs> and that's and, saying uh, something. And yes, so it's it's quite dramatic. Very dramatic TV show, Great British Bake Off. Oh, no. But yeah, it's it's been good. I, I see that, like, because it's been going for quite a few seasons now, they have to up the ante every time, so they're making more and more wacky bakes, which is great. Like, I saw a thing where they all had to make chandeliers, and I'm like, no one would do that. Apart yeah, from, like, chandelier, um, Cake Boss. <laughs> which, yeah, I, I was not that fussed about the the uh biscuit chandelier yeah uh, i was like i don't care for this give me give me something else give me something tastier they're basically setting them all up to try to think that everything has to be like some kind of giant cake boss creation that someone ordered for a corporate function and paid hundreds of pounds for when really just make some nice cakes for your family and friends you know yes what's wrong with that um which is how it started out really wasn't it and it's only since it got incredibly popular that they've started getting more theatrical about it. Yeah, um, and since they, they since Mary Berry left with the Channel Four move as well, they've 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 allowed it to go to go wild. But at least um, they've maintained the friendliness of the show, which is the thing I was most worried about was them trying to introduce more drama with the contestants. But it's still a very friendly yeah. show. Like the Paul Hollywood is the equivalent of be, of the mean judge, and he's still pretty you know relaxed about everything. Yeah. They don't do like X Factor style sob stories on all of the contestants, and they're like, "I'm baking this cake for my dead dog who only had one arm and no liver." You know, it's like there's those kind of things. I'm glad they don't do that. Yeah, it's much better, um, and um, and also, you know, Prue Leaf. I don't really like Prue Leaf. Isn't she a bit of an old racist? Yeah, she's not as nice as Mary Berry. Mary Berry's kind of a British institution. Yeah. Um, and Prue is not filling that void and seems a bit meaner and everything. And yeah, I don't care for her. They should they should replace her with Sandy Toxvig and then have yeah. both of the guys from The Mighty Boosh being the presenters. Yeah. Well, I mean, Julian, Julian Barrett as Julian well. Julian Barrett would be incredible on that. <laughs> And and Noel Fielding, lots of people were a bit concerned about Noel Fielding taking over, but he he and Sandy have been really good hosts. Um, not to the same level as Mel and Sue, but they have they have they have done a very good job. Yeah, I I like Noel Fielding. I, obviously, I thought the Mighty Boosh was very good at the time. Potentially, might not have aged well if you were to go back to it. But and he's done some a few dud things. But on Bake Off, I think he's great and he's really light hearted. That's the thing. He, he approaches yeah, the whole thing need, with the, the energy of an excited child who's just sort of amused by everything and everything's sort of fun to him. You know, you can't bring him down. And um, I, I know a few American people uh, on, on Twitter and stuff like that. And um, a lot of them who had never come across Noel Fielding before um, quite enjoy this strange goth pixie man who's running around and talking about cakes. Oh, good. Um, I'm glad. 
which is which is nice. You know, I feel like he's an excellent British export. Yeah, he's we, not we're quite sorry an for giving you Piers Morgan. Here's Noel Fielding. Enjoy oh, Noel Fielding instead. Well, he came back though, didn't he? Well, yeah, nobody wanted him. He should have just stayed over there. They should have sent him to Texas. And <laughs> yeah. He can, you know, he he didn't have to come back. He could have stuck around somewhere in the middle of the Atlantic. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's the thing. Maybe yeah, if he'd have just gotten lost, he'd be like, yeah, we'll, we'll come back flying over the Bermuda Triangle. <laughs> I don't even know where the Bermuda Triangle is, but I'm... Well, <laughs> it's not in it's the near, middle of the Atlantic. Yeah. No, but I'm assuming um, that Piers Morgan is so awful that the pilot would have been able to make quite the detail. <laughs> He'd have been like, you know what, I'm willing to sacrifice myself to this strange myth yeah. as well. But... um. You know the the uh, the big band guy Glenn Miller didn't he he disappeared over the Bermuda Triangle right? Oh, was it over the Bermuda Triangle? Yeah, yeah. So mm-hmm. he, that means that he's definitely still alive. He's out there somewhere. You know, there's a very good kind of horror movie called Triangle about a ship that gets lost. Is it about a murderer who plays the triangle? <laughs> yes, that's exactly what it is. He, you hear the ringing of a triangle. And that's the cue that the murderer is coming to attack you. Um, it's um, no, it's a very clever. It's it almost feels like a full length Twilight Zone episode. It's very clever. It has a very good twist. It's an excellent little movie. And speaking of excellent little horror movies, this week we watched It Follows. Oh, I, I thought you were going to say, let's talk about Twilight. <laughs> let's talk oh. about Twilight. That well known um... low budget horror movie that everybody loves yeah we've we've already covered that last halloween (laughs) (laughs) um but yes it follows this episode follows the last one um yes i i enjoyed this film i thought it was very very good i was um pleasantly surprised by it i went into it having never heard of it knowing nothing about it at all so i didn't really look at any of the background info or anything um, I knew what year it was made. It was relatively recently, but I didn't know anything about it. So that was good. And I was I was thoroughly entertained um, and very, very much enjoyed it. But um, yeah, I was I was surprised by how good it was, actually, given that I hadn't really heard of it. Did it get a did it get a cinematic release over here? It did. Yes. Yes. I went to go and see it. Um, it, it got released in big cinemas as well. All right, good. Um, so it got a lot of buzz from its initial screenings, so much so that it did get, um, it did get a fair amount of showing in in, in cinemas. Not in, not in terms of like the same run as like, um, like Marvel movies get, but it still got a decent run in cinemas. Um, but this is one of those movies that had the curse of critics really liked it, therefore it got shown in cinemas, and then so people went to go watch it thinking it was going to be a bog-standard horror movie and came away feeling a bit weirded out and disappointed. Yeah, yeah. is this the the audience, the sort of imaginary audience I was talking about last week when I was generalising a bit of people who will go and see The Nun or whatever film, expecting it to be lots of jump scares, lots of quiet, quiet this, lots of gore, lots of this, that and whatever, when actually it follows is quite a slow film. And it's it, yes. it's really really well paced. So is it is that the kind of discrepancy you're talking about? Precisely. Um, if you look on IMDb, for instance, as a meta score, um, it follows gets an eighty three, wow, which is very high. But the 
audience score is 6.9 so it's 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 doing very very well (laughs) it's doing very very well as a as a horror movie that's a very high score for a horror film um but in terms of um you know audience enjoyment a lot of people went away because because it follows shall we so we say what it follows is about for people who haven't seen it yeah what is what is it what is it follows what is it and why does it follow so it follows um there is some kind of curse that gets passed on by having sex with people once you have sex with someone from who has the curse this entity will follow you it walks at normal pace only you can see it and other people who've been afflicted with the curse um and when it catches you it will kill you and then it will go to the person who you had sex with and it'll keep going down the line um so obviously that's quite a silly premise um it's a sexually transmitted demon sexually transmitted demon plague basically um and and it's quite it's it's quite a silly over the top um premise um and so i think a lot of people going into this movie expected something like a a standard horror movie would take that premise and go this demon's gonna look freaky and it's gonna be all like "Ah, i'm gonna get you um there's gonna be lots of dramatic chase scenes and then it's gonna be all about the person finding the root of the curse and breaking the curse and And you're gonna see it coming out of a vagina and murdering someone from the inside or you're gonna (laughs) there's gonna be lots of sex scenes in which yeah there's gruesome like demon penetration you know all that kind of thing yeah there's going to be lots of sex not necessarily that i think paddy you've taken this down a much darker route than most audiences <laughs> would expect hey, um, but yeah. there's going to be lots of there's going to be lots of teenagers having sex and then screaming and there's going to be like a party that we're all at and the demon breaks in and then it goes from one person to another quite quickly and it turns into a slasher and i think that's what a lot of audiences were expecting but instead it's a very bare film it's a very um quiet slow contemplative movie yeah. um it's um, and amazing it's all the better for it budget was only two million yes budget of two million made a whole lot of money back on that so it's a third of the cost of the room just as a point of comparison yeah it's it's amazing isn't it it it, it costs so little to make um but it manages to strike such a such an impressive um atmosphere within that don't you think oh it's it's really really atmospheric and just before we discuss the the atmosphere i just the the first film that i thought of off the top of my head to try and compare it to a shit piece in terms of budget was um the adam sandler film big daddy 1999 do you want to do you want to have a guess what the budget um was for big daddy (laughs) um oh 1999 that's peak Sandler. This is peak Sandler. Yeah, that's got to be at least twenty-five mil, hasn't it? More, more forty mil. Uh, okay, less than that. Basically, pretty much halfway through there. Remember, Rob Schneider's in it as well. So you've got it's a double. <laughs> so it's yeah. not that. <laughs> not that good. Also stars Steve Buscemi as homeless guy. <laughs> I'm just reading <laughs> down the cast um, His budget was thirty-four point two million. And it took two hundred and thirty-four million at the box office. Jesus Christ! Imagine that kind of money. And it follows. Let's see. Took twenty-three million. So that's an, a very good return on two million. But yeah, it's not in Sandler territory. No, which is no. a shame. For a yeah, for such a limited release film, it did incredibly well. 
and getting back basically ten over ten times its budget. Yeah. Um and and leaving such an impression. It's what it's one of the most critically acclaimed horror movies ever. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Um, and it's yeah, it really struck a chord with people. And it was one of the first movies to um there's there's been quite a lot of it's it's called post horror, they refer to it as some critics. And I, I think that's a bit of a stupid thing to call it. They're all just horror movies and they're just doing things in a different way. But people love putting labels on stuff and they're referred to as post horror. So they're these movies that create a sense of dread and unease, but they basically ignore um any tropes of horror movies or if they use them they use them in a way that audiences aren't expecting so that's movies like it follows or the witch or it comes at night um which all are very unsettling movies to watch particularly the latter two um but that don't have jump scares um don't have big dramatic set pieces and instead are just very very slow thoughtful films that just leave you feeling incredibly bummed out and and you'll be thinking about them for about two or three weeks after you watch them yeah well, well yeah and that's i think why i really really liked it as well is that it was slow but it had just enough to hook you in and it was incredibly realistic as well i remember saying similar things about the film spring which we watched um for last last year's halloween month which is a, an amazing film um, but that had some some more kind of monstrous bits going on. But the tone of it was not dissimilar, just in terms of the, it being incredibly realistic in the way that it was shot and the way that it was realised and the way that the characters interacted with each other. Um, it didn't sensationalise anything. And I think people associate horror films with sensationalism, don't they? They think there's always going to be some element element that is massively overblown and maybe the director will retroactively pretentiously try to claim that it's some kind of allegory for something, but really it's probably just, you know, a bunch of a bunch of gore on jump scares and whatever. Whereas with these kind of films you actually could read a lot into them philosophically as well. And there's been some talk about um, I read about it. it follows like is it an allegory for like AIDS or that kind of thing it could be about anything or like it's about her kind of taking power about taking power through sex but also sex being a thing to be afraid of as well there's a lot you can read into it but at the same time you don't really have to because it's also just on the surface a very very good um, story about how people would deal with this demon being passed from person to person in this way and it's realistic in the way that it portrays that, which I think is the key, right? Yes, definitely. And and do you want to know what the initial uh, inspiration for It Follows was? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, so, you know, there's lots of talk about, um, you know, it's about, it's about sexually transmitted diseases or it's about breaking the stereotypes of sex and the danger of sex. Actually comes from a recurring nightmare that the director had. Oh, right. <laughs> um, where he would constantly be stalked by this this creature that would just continually walk slowly towards him. And that and that's where it came from. So so although there is all of this reading around it, and I think it does really well at playing into um because because sex and horror have been intertwined pretty much from day one. Um, particularly when you look at like the slasher movies where you have the whole thing about the final girl, um and, and loads of people have talked about the th- theories around sex and the final girl much more elaborately than we do but effectively you'll notice that when you watch horror movies from the 70s and 80s and there's one surviving girl um they are always the sexually pure one who then um delivers the final blow 
and there's a whole lot about promiscuity leading to death and things like that. Yeah, which is curious because there's so much kind of moral panic around horror films and the things that they were showing when actually there is always that kind of ideological purity at the heart of it, isn't it? Yes, yeah. Um, and, and there's loads of other stuff that plays into traditional uh, like sex roles and things like that. Um, you've got like how the the predominantly male killer is often like deformed in some kind of way as well. Um, so then you've got the emasculation of this monstrous male killer that doesn't conform as well. It's it, all sorts of like psychosexual stuff is tied up in particularly the slasher movies. And I think this film does a really good job of basically ignoring all of that, using that kind of structure of sex and death yeah. and making something incredibly interesting out of it. Yeah, it's very, very good in in that way for sure. But was it um was it set in like the eighties or whatever? Was it supposed to be set in an earlier time period? Um, it's supposed to be set across multiple time periods to confuse you, right? Um, and, and so it, well, that, that, job done. They, yes, yeah. They try <laughs> to create this like dreamlike state. So in this movie, there's lots of like eighties technology around. You'll see big tube televisions and like wireless radios, and they're all driving um, old cars. They're all driving old cars. A lot of them are dressed kind of like they're from the eighties as well. Which you know, it's not a big takeaway in in this day and age because like there's a lot of 80s fashion that has come back yeah um but it's not doing same... a stranger things and going look at here's some nostalgia this is what you like as much as i love stranger things i think it is wonderful it's like here is every single minute detail of all the 80s stuff thrown in your face whereas this was just very subtly kind of oh yeah maybe it's a different time oh, yeah why are they watching like an old tv but then the friend is reading on some kind of weird pink conch shell e-reader and that confused yeah. me yeah and so so it's deliberately trying to create this kind of dreamlike state where you're not quite sure where it's set just to make just to unnerve you a little bit more um which i think it does really well <laughs> I, yeah. I remember I, I thought exactly the same thing when i first watched it. it's like where the hell is this where is this set it's really weird um or rather when is it set um yeah and and it does a great job of of again undermining you in that way um, my favorite thing about Stranger Things, by the way, or rather my least favorite thing about Stranger Things, is is the same thing. How it's just like, hey, look, here's all the '80s stuff, um, yeah. and how they'll throw out a reference to something which has only become popular with age. So the one that stands out is in the, I think it's the first series, maybe it's the second series. They've got a poster for John Carpenter's The Thing on their wall, and yeah. a this movie was an 18 rated horror film. There's no way these kids would have been able to see it. They never would have been able to sneak into a cinema to go and see it. And also, when it was first released, everyone thought it was a disappointment. So nobody would have been like, oh, you know what? I really want a poster for the thing up on my wall. Because most people would have thought, oh, that was a disappointment. Yeah, I was expecting E.T. Why is this alien killing everybody? Yeah, but that's the very definition of nostalgia, isn't it? It is, yeah. And and so, like, it... it, 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 it the The... Stranger Things, it's like it's all set in that time period, but it's not set truly in that time period. It's set in that time period as we are looking back at it and you're pinpointing things that people love about that era. Um, and, and occasionally it's a little bit tone deaf, like like that example, for instance. Yeah, for sure. Whereas with um, It Follows, yeah, you, you got the sense that it was it was trying to set it in an earlier time period, but it was doing it in a non-specific way but in a way that was still coherent because it created this sort of, yeah, this, this like you say, this dreamlike state because in dreams you tend to 
think of the past I suppose and things come at you in a way that is not necessarily normal but yeah it also allows you to to yeah have this sense of it being historical and anachronistic as well that plays on the idea of being followed as well doesn't it it's like you you are constantly followed in your life by history and you are following history as well and I guess it to make you think of that just to get kind of highfalutin for a second yeah there's lots of ways that this film really and and even the monster itself kind of plays into that um and it's never really explained and that's the thing i really love about this movie is they make no attempts to explain what it is the entire thing is about survival um there's no attempt to work out where this creature came from it's just let's run away make sure we're away from it and then at the end there's this brief let's try and kill it off yeah um and you don't know whether they killed it off or not and i really really like that you see like they the, so at the end they they decide to get it into a swimming pool because they don't know whether what it's going to do in water and then to try and electrocute it by like pushing lots of electrical things into the water uh, which doesn't work but it does get they do shoot it a number of times and they just see the pool filling up with blood and then that's it but then at the end you see them walking down the street and then the camera just you can see someone following them in the background and because the demon noise takes the the shape of a person whether it's someone they they love or sometimes it's someone they know sometimes it's someone they don't know or whatever you you can't see who it is but you can just see someone following it so it's a completely ambiguous ending but it feels really really fitting because it does everything your everything you know is what the characters know there's no um there's no real dramatic irony about it. And that works really, really, really well. It's kind of like how in... It was, it's novelistic, actually. How in a novel, it always feels jarring if someone switches points of view too much or if you you get too much omniscient narration or whatever. So it felt, it felt like you were really there with the characters just experiencing what they have experienced. And there's no, there's no need for, to explain what it is because the film is about seeing it from their point of view. You know, and that's the thing in horror movies. I think as well, people often have a good, a great horror story about people running from this demon, or whether they've created tension, they've created suspense, whatever. Fine, but then there's always the need to explain it, and the explanation is always rubbish, isn't it? Yeah, you very rarely get an explanation in a horror film that works because horror is so often based on the fear of the unknown and trying to decipher and understand something which you can't quite understand as often as soon as that explanation is given um everything falls apart and th- and there are there are examples where it doesn't and where by giving a full realization it actually increases the tension increases the horror yeah but a lot of the time um it really backfires when you spend too long explaining what's going on um and this movie takes a complete opposite approach where it it doesn't deal with it whatsoever and it works much better because any explanation you could try and give as to what this thing is would would absolutely eradicate that sense of unease. Yeah, it would. Even down to showing the the deaths that happen. So this movie is very light on deaths. There's only two in the entire film. Um, and And one of them is right at the beginning. And you don't see what happens. You see the gruesome aftermath for a very short amount of time. Yeah. Um, which is a very striking opening to the movie. And I, I remember the first time I saw it, and I don't know if you felt this way, but it was really shocking to see yep. that opening scene. It's, yeah, you got the woman and the young girl, and she's like, she kind of gets in her car in her pajamas and she's, she, and just drives. And she's like, I'm sorry, I'm running away. And then she's on the beach 
calls like calls her parents, tells them that she loves them, and the next shot it just goes boom to the next shot, and it's just like her mangled body with the leg kind of yeah facing the wrong way. It's really really grim, but again, it's only there for like three seconds, and then you get the title sequence, I think, and that's really really effective. I it's, it's only about a few a few minutes of just telling you establishing you without really even saying or anyone talking saying anything just this is the thing it follows you it's a demon it kills you there you go that's, that's all you need to know yeah because at that point you don't even know what it is you just know that this person is running from something and then all of a sudden she's dead in an incredibly horrible way um and the, the full explanation doesn't come until later where um and 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 now's probably a good time i i didn't choose this movie at random there is a lot of emphasis on relationships in this film yeah um and on romance in this film which is why i chose it i didn't just choose it because i like it (laughs) i (laughs) thought it it fitted quite well with our podcast yeah of course um so um obviously the thing is passed on by sex and the one thing that you'll notice about this movie is and and something that i really liked is the way that it, it it contemplates on the idea of a relationship and um and there's consent at every step even consent to knowingly passing on this curse in two instances yeah um and it's um it's really interesting the way that it does it so so um our main character jay gets the curse after going on a date with with a boy that she's seen a few times um who has been deliberately courting her to pass on the curse to her it turns out um in a real horrible scene where um where after after they've they've had sex and after their date is over he he drugs her and then she's taped to a wheelchair in an abandoned parking garage um and he's there and he explains what's going on and then waits until you can see the demon for the first time or see the monster for the first time um and it's a really shocking scene because it is it, it shouldn't be scary should it it's just one person um, often, often they're in they're in a quite a grotesque state. So it could be that they they they're bloody or they've got tattered clothes. Yeah. Um, sometimes or, they're naked. Sometimes. Or they're sometimes like they're naked. Urinating. And and, and 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 the nakedness in this movie is never treated with titillation. It's always there as sort of like uh, almost a grotesque mockery of the human form, I suppose. Um, which which works very well. And so so it's just this woman walking slowly towards them, but somehow it feels really quite intense and scary in that scene wouldn't you say yeah for sure and it's like you don't know what's going to happen i mean you've seen earlier on in the film someone dead as a result of an encounter with it but you don't know exactly what it's going to do or what it's capable of it's just a person walking towards you but because you know in the back of your mind that it's going to do something that's it's a real less is more way of creating horror and suspense isn't it and it's really really effectively done it's really really good and all of the scenes in which they're kind of running from it are really really good and yeah there's only one where it kind of gets hold of her when they're on the beach and it sort of lifts her up by the hair and that's the point at which you see it from the other character's point of view so the demon is invisible it's only visible to people who have passed it on um and it actually gets hold of her and it's like it's attacking her and then later on the final scene with the at the swimming pool it takes the form of her dad you don't know it's her dad until the very very last scene when you look at the photo and you see him there which is really effective as well and it's like her dad and then the, he starts throwing all the appliances at her in the water so it's basically it's a thing that wants to kill you and that's all that it has to be really but you know there there's just enough of a supernatural element to it 
for it to be really, really intriguing and really scary, but it's kind of downplayed as well. Yeah, it, it's very simplistic, and and there's no there's no elaborate like, and uh, there's no elaborate like running at people or anything creepy like that. Um, there's no breaking of tension, and it's a film that's very, very low on jump scares, which I really appreciate. There's the odd one here and there, but they're used very effectively. Were there even um, any? So there's the creepy kid who pokes his head through the hole. Oh yeah, which kind of which kind of takes you by surprise, and and yeah, so that one's a bit like oh okay, um, and then a lot of the other ones are done by the quick editing to sort of suddenly take you by surprise with what you're seeing, rather than it being the just having a, a loud noise that scares you or a cat jumping out of a a, a crate or something stupid like that that you yeah. always get in in horror movies, um, and instead what you're left with is the fear of the unknown and the fear of what this creature can do. Um, and you only see it firsthand once, which is um, so Jay deliberately passes on the curse a couple of times in the movie. One of them is to another member of their friendship group who's like the cool kid, wouldn't you say? Yeah, uh, he's like the cool, arrogant guy. He's got a car and he's like, oh, yeah, I've got a car and a gun. Why don't we just shoot it, man? And then he's like, yeah, I'll, I'll take the demon. And he, it's, you also get the feeling that he kind of like uses the demon to get into her pants because he's that kind of douchey guy. So when he gets killed, you're just like, oh, well, yeah, that was going to happen, wasn't it? Yeah, he plays the role of like the um, the too relaxed kid in the slasher movie who gets ganked about halfway through. <laughs> and and it's kind of what happens <laughs> here. So I, I, I wouldn't yeah. say you get the sense that he's too much of a douchey guy. He almost feels like the um, the cool outcast kid. I suppose where he's like, you know, you never see him with any other friends or anything like that, but he's kind of like a bit of a player with the ladies. Um, but he doesn't believe in the curse. And so it's like, Oh yeah, just pass it on to me. It'll be fine. Um, and the end result of that, because he's not prepared for it is that the, the, in, 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 I think it's probably the most disturbing scene of the movie. Um, is it, it breaks into his house in his form jay who lives across the street from him runs across to try and warn him but not heeding the warning he opens his door to the demon which is in the form of his mother which then attacks him and you get this it's a very very slight scene um that has almost like body horror elements as you see them sort of like joining together through like a simulation of sex and it's like it's really creepy the way that it does it yeah Um, it's really weird it's a very yeah weird is the right word for it. it's a really strange like it only lasts a couple of seconds but it's the kind of thing that really sticks with you yeah and again you um, don't need too much of it you only need a couple no, of seconds no. of it like okay it's appeared as his mother and it's killed him okay yeah, yeah. that was going to happen and, and and then um and then it's over and um and again they're on the run um and it's a it's quite a shocking scene because you get the sense that she kind of liked him and he's the only person who kind of well, the others took them took it seriously, but even though he didn't necessarily believe in it, he did the most to try and propel the situation further. So by taking them down to his beach house and things like that. Um, so it's this element of hope that's been lost, both in terms of a potential relationship and in terms of a potential means of getting away from this creature in a more long term fashion. Yeah, it's it's very good. Yes. Very scary. Um, <laughs> But and again, the the whole thing, the dynamic of their friendship group is really interesting as well and really realistic. And it's like, 
it gives away very little about it. There's basically no exposition of anything, really, because there doesn't need to be. It's just you're like, are they? Oh, they're, they're old friends, they're students, they're this, that, whatever. They're adults, sort of in the picture, but not. And it's been the whole time not really knowing what stage of life they're at, just knowing that they're teenagers and they're young, but they're old enough to be having sex and drinking and to be using sex as well, which is really, really interesting. But then, yeah, their, their dynamic proves to be a really, really interesting part of the film. As you say, there's, there's romance and there's sex and there's, yeah, there's Greg who gets done and then there's Paul, who's the other guy who's obviously always really liked her. And then they they are together in the end after she eventually passes it on to him he's kind of like he's a bit like oh yeah well you could have passed it on to me and she was like well I thought Greg would be fine because he didn't believe in it I didn't want to hurt you kind of thing but yeah they, they go from being friends to being in a relationship at the end which is kind of nice but it's just a thing on top of the ambiguous ending as well but you feel like at least there's the two of them now who could see the thing if they had to deal with it again yes um he is known in our household as Captain Friendzone um, because, of, <laughs> because of his relationship with her and and you I, I don't know if you feel this way but I certainly get the sense that she is reluctant to be in a relationship with him in that way because she doesn't feel about him in that way um, yeah but at the end it's it's beneficial for her and, it, and and you kind of see that in the way that her in in her sort of like body language with him at the end as well is her non-committal hand-holding and things like that is for her this this isn't a happy true love ending no it's not two people who have found each other um because let's be honest a lot of the time people who have a crush on someone for several years and it's not reciprocated someone's mind doesn't suddenly change like that you know yeah um there there is no there's not necessarily a happy romantic ending here but for convenience's sake she has someone else with her not only is she now no longer the first one who's going to be come after um, but there's now two of them together who can both see it and help each other in their escape and things like that. Yeah, and that is their response to dealing with this huge supernatural trauma. And again, that's that's uh, sort of a, a real, relatively realistic portrayal of how sometimes, you know, romance and relationships come from places other than what is typically portrayed in movies. You know, there are all sorts of reasons for people being together in that way. And this film sort of invites you to consider that, doesn't it? Yes, yeah, exactly. Um, and, and But you do kind of get the sense, at least I do, that the moment that it grabs him, she's out of there like a flash. Yeah. <laughs> is, is um, you know... Um, yeah, well, you assume she did the same when it was when it was killing Greg. She It doesn't show it, but she must have, like, run away. <laughs> yes, yeah, run away. Because there's nothing you can do in those circumstances. And also, um, it's off screen, but she goes onto a boat at some point, clearly to then pass it on just to get a quick relief by having sex with, with one additional random person, which, which you don't see yeah. clearly happens. So there's another person who's died at some point in the movie. You just haven't seen it. Um, and also... Um, Again, at the end, you see that um, Captain Friendzone um, hires a prostitute as well to pass it on, which is you know yeah. a thoroughly pleasant thing to for him. And again, to have you done. you see him driving past the prostitutes, but it's never yeah you don't actually see any of it actually happening. It's all just stuff that's implied. Yes, yeah. There, there's no um, there's no like provocation or provocative aspect of this movie even though it would be very easy to take this subject matter and make it into something sleazy um it's very very tasteful every element of it 
um, which is another reason why it's so well done, is because those kind of things completely break up someone's idea of of horror as well. Um, so not only does it get you know good good boy points for not being a sleazy piece of shit, it also does it in terms of making something that actually feels tense. Yeah, if this was Lars von Trier's, it follows. <laughs> <laughs> the thing would follow them for probably 10 minutes and then it would be an hour and a half of it eating them from the inside and then and then talking to them (laughs) precisely um and yeah so it's a it's it's a it's a good film i think and i think the way that it portrays relationships and everything like that is, is really clever as well um it does it in a way that you don't often see in movies particularly not in horror films um and and i really like the supporting cast as well so it's a movie with uh, and you mentioned it before it's a movie with hardly any adults in it yeah um it's almost entirely focused on and even most of like the extras are other young people um and so there, there's again there's this absence of authority figures which again makes them makes it feel all the more helpless as there's no one there who can help um, in the scenes where she's talking to the police or talking to doctors as well after the initial um, attack, um, it's all very much they don't really care and can't really do anything about it. No, and you're you're sort of on the peripheral. You're thinking about, you know, how how would this be dealt with? You know, would they go to the police? Would there be more kind of parental stuff? And it's hinted at. They talk about, oh, my mum would think this or whatever. But yeah, the the adults basically don't exist, and it's it's again it, it reminds you of how with the this kind of trauma, with a lot of trauma, you, you know, you you are powerless, even though there are supposedly things out there to protect you. They can't. Yes, yeah. There's there's no way to um to fully protect against against every threat, and 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 again, there's this ex- existential dread that it follows provides, which really sort of. I don't know makes things quite uncomfortable. Yeah, and like way. the the idea of being followed is in itself scary, isn't it? Like that as a, as a concept and as a theme and as a thing, you know, that that's that's a thing that's, you know, always kind of looking over your shoulder in the film. So it does that well on a kind of meta narrative way. Yes, yeah. It's it's a good it's a good movie. It's a, it's good. I recommend it to people even if you're not a fan of horror. Give it a go and 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 see what you think of it. Um, one thing I'd really like to bring up is how good the soundtrack is as it, well. It's, it's fantastic. Great. Again, it's it reminded me of the music in Stranger Things, how it was taking 80s style synths, but it wasn't trying to be in your face about it. It wasn't trying to be overly melodic, but there were bits that were melodic enough to make you listen to it and for it to be catchy. And the, the kind of the the lower sort of bit crushed synths providing all those swelling moments, the sort of bits of leading up to stuff were really, really good as well. But it's not like, um, you know, sort of traditional orchestral horror movie music with lots of strings and banging stuff. And, you know, it was, it was really, really good. I I was, yeah, I was going to say the music was super effective and it really, really lent itself well to the dreamlike tone of it as well. And the, the look of it. Yes, yeah, it, it feels really like a John Carpenter score, um, which anyone who's a fan of horror would probably appreciate. Um, and it really, it really feels great, and and it's very atmospheric. It really suits the movie perfectly. And and the um, the score of the movie is from an artist called Disaster Piece, who um, is most known for his video game work. 
Right, um, that makes sense. So he did the soundtrack to Fez. I don't know if you played Fez. No. Um, it's this great little indie platformer. Um, and and he's done all sorts of other movies as well. Um, um, all sorts of other g- games as well. Um, the most popular of his scores is a game called Hyperlight Drifter, which again is like a, a 2D sort of RPG platformer action game. Um which is which is it's almost like um like one of the classic Zelda games. Oh right. Um and uh, and yeah so he he's he's done he's he's a great artist at um bringing up those kind of like 80s chip tune elements in a in a in a in a good way. Um and it, and it works really well um in uh, in in this movie as well and he's also going to be um he's going to be doing the score of the same director's next film as well um, yeah i was just looking at this it looks really good yeah it's it's a it's it's not very much like it follows <laughs> no <laughs> is it <laughs> it's uh but it's um stars andrew garfield it's big he's got a big name attached yeah andrew garfield who doesn't like lasagna i oh, know loves lasagna hates mondays yeah <laughs> Oh, and also I see that it originally had Dakota Johnson in the cast, but she was replaced by Riley Keough later on. Ah. So that is good. <laughs> <laughs> not enough, not enough um, sex in it, clearly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, not not enough butt plugs. <laughs> um, but yeah, director David Robert Mitchell, um, not that david mitchell um <laughs> no not quite that david mitchell it seems like before it follows he had a film called the myth of the american sleepover which is a coming of age film also looks quite good i'm looking through this now and a film called a short film called virgin and then he's got under the silver lake so it seems like he's doing quite well so like based on it follows and the way that it's all put together i know that this is someone who could probably tell any story that's the thing as well it's not someone who can only do horror um so I I feel like I definitely am very very interested to look at the rest of his work now. Yeah, um, I've I've not watched his um, his first film, um, The Myth of the American Sleepover, um, but it follows left a very lasting impression on me, um, and I'm very intrigued to watch Under the Silver Lake. Yeah, it looks it looks really interesting. It's an American neo noir film follows the man who sets out on a quest to find the woman he met the night before in his apartment complex's swimming pool after she goes missing. So there are still kind of, yeah, the themes of, yeah, chasing and following and trying to work things out, Disaster Beast on the music, but it's, yeah, I imagine it'll be tonally very different. So, yeah, I'm excited about that. Yes, yeah, it's a, it's a good one. Um, out in December. Yeah, I mean, I'm intrigued to uh, to watch that as well um but i'm pleased that you liked it follows paddy because i wasn't sure i i thought there'd be elements of it that you'd enjoy um like the the soundtrack and i thought you'd like the general aesthetic of it um but i'm pleased to know you liked it but there were there any elements of it that you didn't like um honestly no i i thought it i thought it was very very effective in every possible area it was a really good length it was a really good pace the performances were all very good I like. I hadn't heard of anyone in the cast, um, so it was good to to see all of them for the first time. And I hope that they all go on to um, other careers. No, I, I I don't have a bad word to say about it. Honestly, it was really really effective, really well done. Oh, excellent stuff! Um, yeah, it's a movie I really like, so that makes yeah. me feel. Do you like do you have any any gripes? As obviously a more informed horror person, 
No, so so the only gripes that I have are really um, things that could have been improved with the budget. Um, and so for a movie that costs $2 million to make, I think this is pretty good bang for your buck. Absolutely. Um, it's it's really it's a really fantastic little film. Um, speaking of the cast, um, some of them have gone on to do really good stuff. Um, so Micah Munro um, was also in The Guest in the same year, which is a movie I absolutely love, um, starring our man Dan Stevens, not oh, right. as a big beast monster, um, but the instead he turns up at this family's house and claims that he was with their deceased son in the army. Um, and that he's come back to bring back some some things and give them a final message and stuff like that. Um, and then it sort of turns into a kind of mystery, but it it really undermines your expectations at every turn. It's a great little film, um, and she's like the the other lead in it alongside Dan Stevens. So I highly recommend that for All anybody right, who's cool. interested. Um, she's also in. Um, She's in the the fantastic Tao, which I think I talked about in this on this podcast, um, where where Gary Oldman plays a robot. He's a he's a robot oh. voice. Um, it was a Netflix original, um, and it's really silly. But um, but what carries it is is Gary Oldman's really over the top performance. Ed Skrein's really over the top performance, and Micah Monroe giving a charismatic lead role. Um, and th- and that's a that's a good little movie. It's a fun, silly little film um oh, i i did yeah, not so, even, i'd never heard of that and and so yeah so she's she's gone on to have a very good career um and i think is going to be one of those people to watch to be quite a big star going forwards um equally um captain friendzone uh is is a is an actor called keir gilchrist who's done quite a lot of good stuff as well he's currently in the show atypical all right yeah um which you know has been getting quite good reviews um about um a guy on the autism spectrum yeah um and yeah and that that that's been getting good reviews uh from people um and um uh one of the one of the other friends uh is played by someone called olivia lucardi who's in um a really good horror anthology show called channel zero which i've i've talked about on this before but yeah dear listeners if you like horror go and watch channel zero because it's really good and a lot of people are put off by the fact that it's a sci-fi channel uh, series, but it's absolutely fantastic. Um, it shows that they can do stuff other than those stupid fucking Mega Shark movies. <laughs> <laughs> yep, Mega Shark versus Big Crab. Yeah, Mega Shark versus Angry Crab. Um, Lobster Nado. <laughs> Lobster Nado. <laughs> Shall we make a movie called um, Lobster Hurricane? Yep. Or oh, Jellyfish Storm jellyfish storm oh i like it's, that it's like geostorm but it's full of full of jellyfish <laughs> full of jellyfish <laughs> and, and in the middle of it there's a portuguese man of war and uh and people are like it's not a jellyfish it's even worse <laughs> yeah and then you'll have a portuguese man to solve the day who comes to, to save the, day. the jellyfish war he yeah. is an actual portuguese man of war yeah Except he's played by Jared Butler doing a Portuguese accent, and, and because Jared... that would be less <laughs> offensive than his Irish accent in P.S. I Love You. <laughs> yeah, he's he and he's dressed as like in like traditional Portuguese garb, drinking mm. a bottle of port. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. 
Yeah, just talking about Jose Mourinho the entire time. <laughs> yeah, and about how his coat's from Matalan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh dear. And then, yeah, Jose Mourinho turns up and opens his coat and the whole of the storm like goes inside his coat, his magic coat, and he sacrifices himself by like letting him letting the storm blow under his coat. Yeah. And then like it 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 like dissipates and there's just a coat left like flapping in the breeze. <laughs> and then uh, and then Jared <laughs> Butler's just there going, he truly was the special one. And then a, a Portuguese version of Fairy Tale of New York starts playing over the end. Oh god. <laughs> oh, yeah. Jelly Storm. Um, Netflix or Sci-Fi yeah. Channel. Coming, get in touch. Coming to an obscure cable channel near you. 2020. <laughs> Budget's 120 million. <laughs> Bring it on. I'm just looking at um, Geostorm here. The budget for Geostorm was 120 million. Jesus Christ. <laughs> 60 It Follows, guys. 60 you could have times. made 60 It Follows for that. Yeah. But yeah, I, I, I just, yeah, I'm still so impressed that they managed to do so much with that budget. Like, just in terms of it managing to get across the supernatural in a perfect way where it's utterly and completely believable that it's supernatural but doing it all with just people and and makeup there was no need for any kind of cgi or anything it was yeah i'm very very impressed by that and maybe that actually just says more about the general caliber of films and how how much rubbish there is out there that isn't that that doesn't do that or fails to do that or it requires ridiculously big budgets to get across nonsense but yeah i was thoroughly impressed it does a great job because invisible monsters should be the most stupid thing ever. And th- and there's no way that you should have any kind of atmosphere um, to it. But they do it so well. Uh, and like, you, as as a viewer, you should see through, oh, they're, oh, it's invisible monsters, right? Oh, that must have been really difficult to film. But instead, you're so captivated in it that it just completely takes away any of that disbelief you might have yeah it's it's crazy so yeah go watch this movie i like it paddy likes it what are you waiting for seal of approval absolute seal of approval for sure i was just looking at the setting so it's kind of in and around um detroit yes yeah which which they don't really yeah, there's that reference to eight mile when you're like oh yeah it's detroit okay and apart from that you don't really get much of a sense of of where it is it could be anywhere yeah no i was looking at the um it says on wikipedia when she she wakes up after she's been chloroformed by um by the guy who gives it to her it's in the packard plant which is a disused automotive plant in detroit um so big old big old scary disused building and that was a good good use of an existing thing to provide that kind of scary setting you know Again, just another thing that they obviously did really well with the, the the location and the things that they wanted to get across using existing stuff without having to spend loads of money. Yeah, it's really clever the way that it does it. It's it's also the second movie of around the same era, the second good horror movie that was set in Detroit as well. Because um, there's, there's a good little um, home invasion film called Don't Breathe, Um which is kind of like a reverse home invasion movie. So these people break into this house uh, wanting to steal loads of good stuff, but things do not go the way they expect. Um, 
and and that's all set in Detroit. And again, it makes a big point about how it is Detroit and how the the city is in a dilapidated state, um, so much so that nobody will notice if there is this robbery. Um, and yeah, so it it does it very well. All right, excellent, very very good. So how are we um how are we going to rate this? Oh, that's a difficult one, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I don't know. How many? 80s appliances, televisions, radios, and so forth, would it take to throw into a pool of water with you in it to kill you? <laughs> I like it. There we go. Oh, yeah. By the way, <laughs> at the end of the movie, they come up with this elaborate plan to kill it off, which includes throwing electrical goods into a swimming pool to electrocute it, uh, which doesn't quite work. Just, just so people understand that reference, we're not just talking about throwing electrical goods into a pool. No, you should, you should do that anyway, because it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> disclaimer do not do that no really, really it's a bad that. idea don't don't <laughs> throw electrical stuff into water um so ah that's a tough one i think mm, is it too generous to go as high as 17 for this film no that's that's kind of the range that i had in mind again i i think i don't know if it's a film that i will return to but I felt like it was a very good and very effective film that just got so much right and really captivated me. Um, and there's so much technically that it, it ticked every box. So, you know, it's still... Uh, yeah, I don't know that it's necessarily going to stay with me for a long time, but I thought it was very, very good. I feel like that kind of range is totally fair. Yeah, so yeah, for me, 17. I like it. It's good. I This is the third or fourth time I've watched it now. All right. Um, I yeah. We every so often it's one of those movies I found that you sort of feel like you know what I want to watch it because there's nothing quite like it out there either. Um, and so every so often you sort of get the urge to to see it. Um, but it's uh yeah, it's a really good film. Um, yeah, really impressive little indie horror. I um yeah, I thoroughly recommend it. Cool, cool. Um, do you have any other business? Uh no, I don't think so. Yeah, so it's only been two days since our last one, so there haven't really been any um any updates on the Twitter or anything, have there? Every, in fact, well, everyone on the Twitter still still be talking about um Harvest Moon. So yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> everyone loves Harvest Moon, I suppose. Yeah, because the at the time of recording this, the 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 episode before this one hasn't even come out. No, it's it's only we're only just into um october horror month and we've already yeah. had a, f- a feast of horror i mean so, i have been i have been watching a horror movie a day pretty much since october started well that that's um, what you do anyway um uh, yeah that that that's what i do come october time I, oh yeah how was what was it you went to see yesterday the night oh yes i went to go and see the little stranger something oh, that yes, we could potentially watch in next year's halloween month yeah um so well, I won't well, say how, too much how was about it, it briefly it was, it was good. I was a little bit underwhelmed because I really love the book. Um, and it kind of, I don't think it did the balance of the supernatural and the real quite well. Whereas in the right. book, it feels very much tied together. This felt more stop-start between the two different elements. Um, but it was good and nice performances. Um, I like to think of it as being the anti-Downton Abbey. So if you don't like Downton Abbey, go watch The Little Stranger and it'll set you right. Excellent. That sounds good. Because Downton Abbey, it started off all right and then just massively tailed off. But I, I have no time for um, the kind of shows that basically glorify the class structure of this country. 
Um, and yeah. so it can get in the bin for me. Anything that Jacob Rees-Mogg might enjoy watching is something you should be suspicious of. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, I, I have one more thing to share about It Follows, um, which is that there has been talk of a sequel from the movie's producers. Um, cool. And I hope that does not happen. <laughs> Um, because you know you know where the sequel is going to go it's going to go down the route of let's find what caused this and let's do it in yeah um and i don't want that i i really like that it doesn't going down the chain of people yeah and being like who caused this and it's some it's some ancient witch who who passed a curse on a spurned lover or some bullshit like that um no i don't i don't want that i like the fact that you don't know anything about it yeah so hopefully well hopefully they do one that is as good and that they they realize what is good about it and decide to somehow follow that by also making it good yes yeah that would be nice Let um, i won't be hold good. my breath given given how good most horror sequels are i'm not expecting too much if it does ever get made what are you saying about the nun <laughs> I want to watch The Nun. I want to go see it. I want spooky nuns shouting in my face. <laughs> well, well, you should have gone to Catholic school then. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I want. I want I want some spooky, spooky nun nonsense. Um, okay. Well, I, I know some nuns. I can send them around your house. Yeah, send them around and let them go, ooh, I'm a nun. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> nice so uh what are we what are we watching next so so next so we've done we've done zombies we've done spooky invisible demon demon things demons demons <laughs> <laughs> um so so next we're going down going down the vampire route oh not ghosts uh not ghosts no <laughs> um well i don't know if we've got any ghosts lined up this time actually any sexy ghost movies are there any sexy ghost movies i suppose there is ghost that's a sexy ghost oh movie. yeah yeah i'm just gonna google sexy ghost movies the 15 sexiest horror movies of all time is yeah, twilight of, on there no no sadly not <laughs> <laughs> none of these seem to have ghosts in them so carry on <laughs> okay so um we're going to be watching only lovers left alive ah yes um which is a a a good little good little uh vampire thingamajig yeah and again i i know very little about this film other than that it's by our main man jim jarmusch jar jarmusch um (laughs) and that's that's pretty much all i know about it actually and it's also relatively recent i'm gonna say yes yeah so 2013 so all of these movies really have have come out at around the same time um but hey tilda swinton as a vampire excellent get on it sounds uh, yeah i think this looks really interesting I'm, ver- I'm very much looking forward to watching it excellent stuff cool oh no wait it's on this list ah yeah it's on this list of the 15 sexiest horror movies of all time ah so they count it as a sexy horror movie yeah but they, but the Shape of Water is also on this list, and I, I would not say that the Shape of Water is a horror film. I wouldn't say it's a horror film or a sexy I think, film. I think that's stupid. Fuck you, Esquire magazine. Online. It does have, it does have the hunger <laughs> though. Interview with the vampire. That's a very sexy movie. You get a lot of sexy Brad Pitt action in that. 
oh the 80s cat people movie oh that is the sexy i was looking at that going this looks very strange it's really good it's got um david bowie did a soundtrack song for it um, and it's one of his best songs (laughs) and it's just randomly is to do with this weird um weird 80s cat people movie it's a it's a remake of a 40s uh horror film but it's a really sort of interesting movie um american werewolf in london species that that is a stupid film yeah i've heard only bad things about that (laughs) um bram stoker's dracula that is a interesting movie very weird um jennifer's body only lovers left alive from dusk till dawn because nothing sexier than quentin tarantino's face um his face really does look like a slab of meat (laughs) he looks like someone who was badly generated in a early 2000s video game doesn't he let's be honest (laughs) yeah um witches of eastwick the shape of water for some sexy fish man action yep the love witch now that sounds (laughs) sandler-esque That's my new favourite word. I'm going to use it at every available opportunity. Oh, I think I saw a a trailer for that. It looked quite interesting, actually. It, it did not look Sandler-esque. Um, Suspiria, the Neon Demon. Oh, yeah. I would not count the Neon Demon as a horror movie. Eyes of Laura Mars. Hmm. Hmm. Not heard of that. I do not know it. That is the last one on that list. Well, I am going to take that list away and oh. watch some horror movies, I think. That might be the first time we've ever mentioned a film on this podcast and you've not heard of it. <laughs> it must have happened before. I don't know. I, just, I, ve- I, feel I like very you're, rarely you're have not incredibly heard of knowledgeable. A, I very rarely have not heard of a horror movie. Oh, I do recognise the poster to this film, though. Have you heard of Jellystorm? <laughs> I hear that's that's going to be the best movie of 2020. Jellystorm. That's going to be the best movie of all time. Jared Butler is already waxing lyrical about its quality. <laughs> He's already uh, preparing his apology to the people of Portugal. <laughs> I thought you were going to say he's already waxing his chest so he can get <laughs> he can get in shape. <laughs> he's waxing it into the shape of the country of Portugal. <laughs> yeah, he's shaving his chest hair into the shape of a bottle of port. <laughs> Yeah, this needs to happen. Come on. Yeah. Jellystorm. Jellystorm. Jellystorm that's, that's, 2020. That's your next um, Photoshop poster. Okay, right. I'm making a note of that. We're going to do Jellystorm next. Yeah, and as this isn't coming out until a week tomorrow, you've got you've got time. I've got time to do it. Yeah. yeah. Okay, excellent. Nice. Okay, well, I... <laughs> I think um I think that's that's going to do it for us there's no, no other business. <laughs> right, okay. No, I've got nothing else. That's all good. Cool. Well, in which case we'll be back next week to talk about Only Lovers Left Alive. Um what did you make of um It Follows? Did you think it was as good as we did? You know, did you enjoy its portrayal of being followed and sexually transmitted demons and such. Um, always love to hear from you. Uh, drop, email us at bigboysdon'tcrypodcast at gmail.com. Tweet us at bigboysdon'tpod. Yeah, what did you make of it? Love to hear about it. Yeah, have you ever contracted a sexually transmitted curse? Yeah. If so, how did you get rid of it? Yeah. And yeah, it's just so we'll then know not to have sex with you. Yes, yeah, <laughs> avoid you. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
yeah um have if you had a sexually transmitted curse what would you do to avoid the monster yeah how how would you try and kill it i i came up with this plan right and it would be have sex with someone really rich tell them about it and then tell them okay all you've got to do is fly to australia now and then in about three months time possibly even longer than that fly back to the uk yeah because the, I, the monster's going to be walking this. through the sea and then like by the time it gets to australia you can then just hop back and maybe you just live a year actually a year in each place something like that i was thinking this actually yeah there's a, there's a point where it is clarified like the guy who passed it on to her says it's well you know that it's always moving but it's walking so it's like if you drive somewhere you buy yourself time yeah if you fly to australia and then just fly back it's fine you know so what you're saying is you would have sex with elon musk i would totally have sex with elon musk and then i'd be like mate i would recommend using your tube thing but it's not working yet so instead i'm afraid you're gonna have to take a plane fly hasn't got hasn't got that one off the ground yet or should we say under the ground Um, but then I don't know. I feel like Elon might let me down. Yeah, he'd pass it on to someone, and then he'd just do what he wanted to because he wouldn't believe it was real, and then yeah. he'd, get, he'd get eaten. Yeah, I'd be a bit worried about him. Yeah, he'd get killed by his own mother. <laughs> it would take the form of Azalea Banks. <laughs> yes, it definitely would. Yeah. Sorry, Elon. I mean, I would do it, and then I would feel a bit bad, but you let me down, mate. All you had to do was stick to the plan. Yeah. All you had to do was go to Australia. How hard is it? Yeah, come on, mate. Do it. It's nice there. It is. Yeah. And it's huge as well. That's the other thing. Yeah. You can just go from one side of the country to the other. You could just hop from one side of Australia to the other, or even if you lived in the States, actually. Well, that's the other thing is about it as well, is that you, you get the feeling that they in the film they always drive far enough, but it's never quite far enough, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. You need you need to have the money to get away from it. Yeah, um, you, need, you need the dollar. Yeah, but if you were travelling from LA to New York, you know, that buys you a lot of time. Yeah, for sure, yeah. So anyway, if if you can think of a better strategy than that for avoiding the sexually transmitted demon, let us know. Uh, i mean the best option is don't sleep with random people yeah particularly if they're looking over their shoulder and saying can you see that woman um and there is no woman there that's a good sign to not sleep with them yes (laughs) all right we will be back next week talk about only lovers left alive thanks a lot for tuning in you know we we really appreciate it ratings reviews etc nice tweets instagram posts facebook's shares all of it very, very much appreciated, you know? Give us some currency in today's economy, yeah? Yeah, give us some give give us some love. We like a bit of love. Yeah. Give us some love. Or we'll make you be extras in what's it called? Jelly NATO? <laughs> jelly storm. <laughs> jelly jelly storm. And we're using <laughs> real jellyfish, so you will get stung. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And Sting will be in it as well. And Sting will be in it. So you'll so, also yeah. have to hang out with Sting. Yeah, <laughs> that's, a, that's a reason not to be in a film, <laughs> if ever I heard one. 
<laughs> oh dear. Right. Okay. Well, All right. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. See, I went high last week, so I had to go low this time. <laughs> I like it. Well done. <laughs>